What is up, everybody? My name is Brandon First, aka First Report, representing the ESBC Gambling Podcast Network. Today is Sunday, May 17th, 2020. So I'm talking a little Padre baseball. It's been a little while since we had a podcast dedicated just to the San Diego Padres, uh, the team that I uh, cheer for and um, really am well-versed in, um, have my PhD in the Philadelphia Eagles. I guess I have uh, my master's in the San Diego Padres as well. So we're going to talk today uh, mainly, obviously, the Padres are the main, uh, the main topic, but the rule changes and what rule changes are going to help and what rule changes are going to hurt the Padres and why. We're also going to talk about if the Padres can um, do anything to get better and if they should do, the, do those things. Um, what does the shortened season and a no minor league season mean for top prospects Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino? And we'll finish it up with a very special first five. It won't be um, Padre related. It'll be um, five things about uh, something else. I, I don't really want to spoil it. I want you to stick around. Uh, it'll definitely be worth you sticking around. You're definitely going to learn something. I can guarantee you that. So without further ado, let's dive right into it. And first thing that I want to talk about are the rule changes that are going to help and hurt the San Diego Padres and why. We'll start with the help. Um, what, what rule changes are going to help the Padres' chances? I think the first one for me is the expanded playoffs. Uh, last year at the 82-game mark, the San Diego Padres were 42-40. and 40. While not amazing, that's um, very good for the Padres in an 82-game span, especially at the first half of the year. Usually they put together a good um, second-half stretch when they're well out of it. But they obviously – had a good uh, first half last year. That would have been good enough for seventh place in the National League um, at 42 and 40 last year. That would have actually got them in the playoffs under the expanded playoff format. So that's something that, while even if you don't make the playoffs as a Padres uh, organization this year, if you're able to go into the last week or two of the season and you have a chance and you're playing those high pressure games, that is invaluable experience. The Tatis Juniors, the Paddocks, um, the Baezes, um, the Munozes, the, the young players that are out there that really probably aren't going to get a true taste of a real September baseball game with only five teams making the playoffs So in each league. So now with seven teams making the playoffs in each league, that opens it up for the Padres to try and, you know, who knows, sneak their way in, or like I said, just be around the end of the season with 10 games to go. Maybe they're two or three games out of a playoff spot. Those games, they really have to dig deep. Those are the experience that um, the Padres, you can't really put a price on that, especially for the young players the Padres have. Now, the second rule change that I think will help the Padres is actually um, one of the, the, the biggest bummers for me is the no fans. Um, obviously, I had tickets to opening day. That's been canceled. I had uh, plans to go to plenty more other games. That's obviously not going to happen. That's very unfortunate as a fan. I love going to the ballpark, uh, especially Petco Park, beautiful ballpark. If you haven't had the chance to get there and you're a baseball fan, um, it's, it's, really, uh, really, it's a really great place to take in a ball game. But I think this is good for the Padres for a couple reasons. Um, the first one, I think, is overall the Friars have struggled at home um, lately. I don't know if that's because the pressure um, of the home fans is too much or 
maybe the dimensions or the way Petco Park plays doesn't really play to the team. But they've um, been worse on the road the last couple of years. And, or I'm sorry, they've been worse at home the last couple of years than they have on the road. And that's a bit concerning, but who knows? Maybe no fans. There's not that pressure out there anymore, and you're just playing um, at home in terms of being uh, batting last. That's really all the home team is at this point um, during this uh, shortened, weird corona pandemic season. And the second reason why I think this is going to help is the Padres rarely play a game at home against the Giants or the Dodgers um, that isn't at least 50-50 um, fans in the stands. Usually, you know, a late September or, a, you know, a September Dodger-Giants game, it could be, you know, 65-70% Giants fans at Petco Park. Obviously, with no fans, that's not going to happen. So I think this is something that not a whole lot of people are really taking into account. Baseball isn't a sport like football where the home fans are as um, – they can the, – the home fans in baseball don't have as much effect as football fans do. There's no doubt about that. But any baseball player will tell you they'd rather have the last at-bat um, so that's where the home team, that's obviously the, the advantage there. But the Padres not having fans and not having the 60% Dodger fans or 60% Giants fans at home, uh, that's going to help. You know, I think that's got to be a little – it's frustrating. If you're a home – if you're a team that – that's your home team or that's your home stadium and you're playing a division rival, you don't want to hear, you know – an audible cheer when the other team store, scores. So that could be something that could help the Padres. Moving on to the rule changes that I think are going to hurt the Padres. The first one is the shortened season. And I know earlier I talked about, oh, well, if they only played 82 games, then they would have made the playoffs. Well, that's different, okay? There's a difference between, you know, finishing up their 82-game season knowing there's 80 more left as opposed to finishing up this 82-game season and knowing that's it. Wherever you stand, that's where you stand. So there's a lot more pressure in these games later on than it was last year. But this is the Padres are a young team with a rookie manager who has never really even been in a major league dugout in a coaching capacity. I think the highest he's gotten in the major leagues is a field coordinator, which is pretty much just kind of like a jack of all trades on the practice field. Um, he was a manager, I believe, in. Um, Latin America, the Dominican Winter League, maybe. Uh, definitely in the uh, Winter League down in Latin America. Uh, so he was a manager there, but never at the major league level in this country. Um, so we'll see how that goes. You know, when you have a 162-game schedule, there's room for growing pains for rookie managers or um, managers who are adjusting to a new team. I mean, look at the Nats last year. They didn't have a new manager adjusting a team, but they were 10, 10 or 12 games under 500 in the middle of May and they rebound and go on to win the world series. Um, because that there was that kind of um, that bumper that they give you room for those growing pains. Like I said, well, when there's only 82 games now in a season, that wiggle room is gone. I will say though, the, the acquisition of Tommy Pham, I do think helps um, not just offensively, but also in the, uh, in the clubhouse. I think he is everything I've heard, obviously haven't followed his career too closely. Um, everything I've heard, in the interviews I've seen, he's an uber intense guy and probably is going to be a guy that holds people accountable. And that, I believe, is what the Padres need, especially in this shortened season. So that will help. But I think overall, the rule will hurt the Padres. 
The other rule that I think is going to hurt the Padres is the universal DH. Uh, obviously, first and foremost, it's when you have a, I would say, average pitching staff for the Padres. Now you're adding in another bat. You're getting rid of the pitcher, and you're adding in a power threat. That's a huge, huge hurdle for these pitchers to have to deal with. Uh, it's going to be very, very interesting. A lot of National League teams are really going to have to adjust to that. I will say one of the positives, I guess you could kind of say, I think the only people who are happy about this are the accountants, but this does open up a spot for Will Myers, whether they want to put him in right field and have uh, um, Grisham or uh, maybe Naylor DH, something like that, they could put him there, or they have Will Myers DH, something like that. Now they have a position for a guy who's going to be paid, I believe, $23 million this year. Without the DH, he was pretty much the world's most expensive utility bench player uh, in Major League Baseball. So there's at least that. But at the same time, Will Myers, no matter where you put him, more than likely he's going to be in the bottom third of production at that position. That's So while maybe, like I said, it might make the accountants happy because they could say, hey, at least he got 600 at-bats. Well, yeah, but he hit 210. He hit 215 and struck out 40% of the time. That could be a problem. I will say, though, Myers is known as a guy who gets off to very fast starts. My question is, is that the early season or is that the spring months? Is that the April and May kind of before we get into the quote-unquote dog days of summer? We're going to be starting July. If we do get started, we'll be starting in July. It's going to be middle of summer by that point. So was it the start of the season that was the reason why Will Myers was playing or always got off to fast starts? Or was it the fact that it was kind of those cooler months, um, those, those days where maybe um, you could put more energy out without, you know, really getting that fatigue. So we'll see. Hopefully it's the fact that Will Myers is really good for 82 games or 80 games and that's it. And if that's the case, he will love this and I'll eat my words with everything I just said, but I don't think I'm going to do that. But We'll see. Moving on to the second topic I want to talk about is really, if you're a Padre fan, the, the biggest question of all is mainly not just now, but overall throughout the season, what can the Padres do to get better? Because right now we might be a borderline playoff team, but that's about it. So while the, the addition of the universal DH allows Myers to be an everyday player, like I said, he's probably going to be a low production player wherever he's put in I don't know if the Padres have the financial capabilities to do this but if the Padres could somehow sign Yasiel Puig and get him to either play right field or be a DH and yes I know that would mean putting Will Myers back onto the bench more than likely but finances aside Yasiel Puig makes a this team a lot better that would be a huge coup because right now the outfield is by far the biggest question mark offensively for the Padres. And Yasiel Puig's a pretty darn good player. Um, he's probably gotten a lot of flack, maybe for the right reasons, um, maybe a bit loud mouth and stuff like that. But at the same time, he's a, he's a really good talent. He's a good baseball player. I'm really surprised he's still on the market. I have to imagine he's probably asking for a lot of money. And now with this universal DH, um, hopefully when these things get figured out, you know he's going to be standing there going, yep, now I'm ready to get paid. And he'll look like the smartest man in the room. He didn't know this was going to happen, but he, he'll definitely benefit from it because someone's going to pay him. I talked about it on Friday. When this is all figured out and we get the things all signed up hopefully soon and we have the schedule somewhat at least somewhat ironed out, 
The next thing is going to be who signs Yasiel Puig in the National League because he automatically becomes a, a, a weapon to use at the DH position. I do want to say, though, I, I understand how this is pretty – this is a pretty unlikely thing to happen. And mainly because there's probably going to be a lot of teams going after Yasiel Puig, and the Padres rarely win bidding wars. Um, they won one with Manny Machado. That's probably the one they'll win and hold on to that for a couple years. But I could be wrong. Who knows? It is obviously a different financial market. A lot of teams probably aren't ready to go throw $20 million at Yasiel Puig. But a team is going to throw money at him, period. I know that is going to happen. Hopefully it's the Padres. The other idea, I guess you could say, um, scenario I've been thinking about is the starting rotation. The Padres seem content with the starting rotation, and I think that's a mistake. A uh, big reason why they feel so content is because of um, the Garrett Richards, who was signed last year um, and, and made only one start, pretty much was going to miss all year. They knew he was going to miss to, uh, all year with Tommy John, signed him anyway, but this is the year they signed him for. Um, they hope that they got him on the cheap and he can come out and be an ace, like they hope. Zach Davies was acquired for Eric Lauer uh, in the offseason. These two guys are question marks, period. Zach Davies is a good pitcher. There's no doubt about it, but he's a soft tosser. And I don't mean soft toss like he's throwing it up there, um, like batting practice. I mean, like, he just doesn't throw very hard. He's made it work. He's had a good career. I just don't know if facing the Rockies lineup and the Diamondbacks lineup and the Dodgers lineup um, and the Astros lineup with this new – fangled realignment kind of with the um, schedule. You're also going to be facing the Angels and the A's lineups. Those are tough lineups to deal with. I don't know if Zach Davies can go up there and throw 90 miles an hour. He's going to have to paint those corners. We'll see if he can do that. There's going to be a lot. There's a lot better lineups in the uh, National League West than there was in the National League Central. So something to keep an eye on there. And Garrett Richards, look, the guy has struggled to stay healthy. And last year when he did come back, he did not look good. He did not look like an ace. So if I was A.J. Preller, knowing the playoffs are going to be extended and knowing that I'm probably on the chopping block, A.J. Preller is probably in a playoff or bust scenario, especially with the playoff being expanded now. He might just try to go for it right now. He might pick a prospect up or a couple prospects and call up either the Mets and then should they try and get Noah Syndergaard or they call up the Cleveland Indians and they resume talks for Mike Clevenger. There was a lot of talk this offseason about Mike Clevenger being, uh, was going to be dealt and the Padres were at the forefront of that. It's going to cost a lot, but either one of those guys immediately makes the Padres not only a playoff contender, but maybe a favorite to be a top five, you know, maybe a home wild card team, if you will. Um, I don't think anything they can do is going to make them better than the Dodgers, but still, if they can go out and they can be a three or a four seed as the, you know, one or two wild card, um, however you want to look at it, that could be nice. That could be, hey, if you get a home playoff series here in San Diego, I know it's not going to be in front of fans. Still, though, we'll be showing off Petco Park. That's, that's, that's something. That's money in the pocket right there. <coughs> Excuse me. So I think either of those guys would make sense. I'm sure it would cost a lot. Maybe you could wait till the trade deadline, but it's highly unlikely that you're going to, the, the, the price is going to rise starting today. Pretty much the closest, closer we get to the trade deadline, 
the harder it's going to be to trade for these guys because the price is going to go up. You're going to have more people who want uh, a starting pitcher, period. So I think the Padres should pull the plug on or uh, pull the trigger on this right now. If you can get Clevenger or Syndergaard, it immediately makes this team a contender. And like I said, probably a wild card favorite if they get either of those guys or if they are able to somehow get Yasiel Puig. I would like one of those pitchers, though. I know it would probably cost less in terms of prospects to get Puig, but I would really like to get Clevenger or uh, Syndergaard. And moving on to the final Padre topic I have for you today, we talk about the two prospects, um, Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino. These guys are pretty much one in 1A in terms of the future of the Padres. If everything goes as planned, Chris Paddock is going to be the three or the fourth um, starter on this team because Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino both project to be better than Paddock. So that's really really exciting because Paddock does look like a very, very good talent. Um, I think it was a bit overrated through Padre fans last year, but Padre fans have a tendency to do that. And I'm probably not, um, I'm not entirely innocent of that myself, but for Gore and Patino, it's highly unlikely that the minor league season is going to happen. So to counteract this, MLB has proposed in this, I guess, one year, this shortened season CBA, they proposed what's called a taxi squad. Uh, if, you're, if you're familiar with, um, you know, the NFL or um, pretty much all the major sports, they have the active and inactive um, roster. So every NBA team has 15 players that they can pick from every before every game, but only 12 of them can dress and actually be eligible to play. Same thing in the NFL. I believe it's 50 and then, or 52 and then eight are on inactive hockey. It's 20 are dressed and three are inactive. So for this, it would pretty much be the same thing for baseball. Um, I've heard different numbers, but they said pretty much it would be a 30 man active roster. So 30 players are eligible to play in that game. And there could be 10, um quote unquote inactives or possibly up to 20 inactives i think 10 is a good number just because 30 plus 10 is 40 and you get i know math with brandon big stuff i know that's what you came here for but 40 or 30 plus 10 equals 40 that's pretty much the uh, 40 man roster so i think it makes it kind of easy right there you can literally just build your 40 man roster and and then just pick your 30 players you want to play each and every game from your 40 man roster might be a little uh, difficult with injuries and stuff like that, but I think that's something that is getting hashed out uh, between probably doctors and stuff like that. We'll see about that. And probably right. Uh, Josh says a lot, you know, during all this, if, if one of these players gets hurt, no matter what, they probably have to be down for the year. That's probably going to happen. So the Padres now with this taxi squad, the question is, would Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino make the quote unquote taxi squad or the inactives or whatever personally just knowing the way the Padres work and knowing the the way MLB teams work and look at their top prospects I don't think this is going to happen you'd have to imagine that if if the players are put on this taxi squad if you will their major league service time is going to start or it's going to add to their major league service time that's big because Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino, neither of them have started their major league service clock yet. And the minute that clock starts, pretty much six seasons after that, after that sixth season, they are eligible for free agency. You have control for them over six years. 
uh, you got some renewable contracts the first uh, couple years, and then arbitration the last three or four. Um, more than likely, you see top prospects um, have their arbitration years bought out. But just saying, they have six years of control once their service clock starts, if you will. I don't think the Padres are going to want to start Paddock and Patino's clock just for them to be on the taxi squad, you know? It doesn't make sense to me. I don't think it would happen. We saw this um, about five or six years ago with Chris Bryant and the, and the Cubs. That's what the Cubs did with Chris Bryant. They kept him down for about 25 days. Everybody knew he was ready to be a major leaguer. They kept him down in the minors for 25 days, and that gained them one extra year of control. Now, was it shady? Yes, but the rule is there. Loopholes are going to be taken advantage of, period. Any team would have done that. So I just don't expect the Padres to do that. If they don't add Gore and Patino to the taxi squad, more than likely it would be the Arizona Fall League for them. Um, the Arizona Fall League is pretty much all the top prospects who played um, low ball, so short seasons. They only played maybe 60 games um, in short season A. They pretty much go in the fall to Arizona, where the weather will be nice throughout the fall, and um, pretty much just showcase their talent. All the teams um, pretty much are finishing up the scouts. I mean, it's, it's World Series time, so the scouts are pretty much done uh, in terms of advanced scouting. So now they're looking at players and getting ready for the Rule 5 draft and stuff like that. So the Arizona Fall League is pretty much just a big prospect showcase over two or three weeks. This year, I think the talent is going to be the best it's ever been. A lot of players don't go to the Arizona Fall League maybe because they had a little uh, hitch in their step or maybe they were limping a little bit and their team said, hey, shut it down. We'll see you in spring. None of these players are going to be are, – are going. I mean, I'm not saying they're not going to be injured, but neither of these, none of these players have played right now. So it's a situation where what happens then? You know, and, and I don't think anybody's not going to be allowed to play in the Arizona Fall League. I think all these all the teams are going to want to throw their prospects in. I would keep an eye on the Arizona Fall League. They might expand. Who knows? Maybe they have enough time to try and find uh, a couple more teams because I think there's going to be a ton of talent going to the Arizona Fall League. And um, it's also likely that this will go off, assuming that the major league season goes off because Arizona has already opened up for major league sports. And this is played, obviously the Arizona fall league is played primarily or only in Arizona. So we don't have to worry about that in terms of shutting down or anything like that. As long as the MLB players association and MLB get it all figured out. Now we are going to move on to a very, very special uh, first five for me. And, and this is really for the true baseball fans out there. And, um, about two weeks ago, ESPN announced that they are going to be covering the KBO when they opened up about two weeks ago. Their opening day happened, and uh, I've been watching. Um, I taped the games. The uh, Korean Baseball Organization uh, picked up by ESPN. As I said, they have pretty much one game. Um, there's 10 teams. I'll get to that in a moment. But um, they pick one game. Um, they pretty much tell you the beginning of the week. Normally, they're at 2.30 uh, in the morning. Uh, a.m. Pacific time, 5.30 Eastern time. I personally tape them and then watch them whenever I can the next day, usually hopefully having a cup of coffee. It's nice. You get to go through the commercials and stuff like that. It's really, I enjoy it. Um, it's a brand of baseball that if you've seen Japanese baseball, it's 
Um, Japanese baseball is quintessential small ball. It's all about station station baseball and defense. It's not about home runs. It's not about strikeouts and stuff like that. Korean baseball is kind of in the middle, and then baseball is or major league baseball is full, you know, power hitting home run. No one cares about average. Very few people care about um, RBI stuff like that. Korea is kind of in the middle. They have a little bit of both. Um, it's it's really it's it's a joy to watch baseball, um, and it's fun to learn this new league. I highly, highly encourage you to do it. I'm going to give you five things that you need to know about the KBO before you start watching, and um, just want to throw this out there so it's uh, put on the record. I After the first three days, I did my research on the KBO of all the teams, because if I'm going to be following this team or this league, I have to have a team to cheer for, period. I have to have a dog in the race, all right? And just heads up, um, unless, unless something crazy happens, I will not be giving any betting advice for the KBO. I'm not ready to go on the record on that. I'm going to keep my ear to the ground and keep looking maybe next year. Who knows? But that this right now is purely for fun. And it's really an opportunity. If you're a baseball fan, there are betting angles to get from the KBO. Um, that's one of the topics I'll kind of get to. So there are betting angles to find there, but I don't want you to think that I'm going to be giving you KBO picks every day. Well, I'm not there yet. I'm just learning the teams, the names, um, the players, stuff like that. So here are the first five. Oh, no, no. Sorry, I got distracted. My team that I have adopted is the NC Rhinos, or I'm sorry, the NC Dinos. Um, reason I picked them uh, for a couple reasons. Um, I'm a big video game guy. NC is a video game company. That's what they're named after. I'll get to that in a minute too. Um, the dinos, I mean, I love dinosaurs. What kid um, didn't grow up wishing they lived um, in the dinosaur era? And, you know, I'm a big Jurassic Park Velociraptor fan. So the dinos are awesome. And one of their mascots is a brontosaurus and they put it to uh, put the mascot together and he just looks super jacked. And the mascot's name is Swole Daddy. So I think that's freaking hilarious. So big mascots are really big in Korea. So it's really fun to watch it. It's just a different type of game, different Everything is different, and it's a lot of fun to enjoy it. So here are the first five things that you need to know about the KBO. The first is the alignment of the team, uh, of the league. Um, it's one league of 10 teams. Everyone's in the same division. Top five teams make the playoffs. They're all spread across, obviously, South Korea. The top five teams make the playoffs. The top seed, who, the number one seed who has the best record, go all the way to the Korean Series, champ, uh, the Korean series which is their you know, championship. So interesting that you have the best record um, in the regular season. You were instantly in the Korean series. You will have to wait two weeks more than likely while um, the other four teams fight it out. But <clears throat> it's, it's a heck of a advantage to have to go, to be able to go straight to the championship series, just like that. Number two thing you need to know, the teams all right. The teams are not named after the cities they call home. This is very important. They're not going to be the sole whatever. Um, it is they're named after corporations uh, that own them. So that's what I talked about um, earlier. The NC Dinos. That's a video game company. Notably, um, you also have the Samsung Lions and the LG Twins. So instead of having, you know, like I said, the Soul Lions or whatever, it is the the company's name. And um, then their mascot. Well, very interesting little dynamic. Same thing actually in Japan. Um, it's very uh, hyper capitalistic uh, situation they have going on there. So 
good for them. I mean, obviously, these days, um, Major League Baseball is pretty much sponsored. Well, all major sports are pretty much sponsoring everything out. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe this happens in the next 20 or 30 years. Um, the other teams, besides the two I just said with the Samsung Lions, LG Twins, we also have the aforementioned NC Dinos, the Doosan Bears, KT, the KT Wiz, the SK Wyverns, the Lotte Giants, the Kiwoom Heroes, the Kia Tigers. Kia is the uh, car company. I'm sure everyone knows those or knows that. And the Han Hanwha Eagles. So those are the 10 teams that are in the KBO. All of those are named after corporations. Obviously, um, let's see, Samsung, LG, and Kia, and Doosan are really the only companies that I recognize there. Um, but the other six are companies that are mainly in um, Asia. Uh, obviously, you have to be a pretty big company to own the KBO teams. Let's move on to the history. You got to know the history of the KBO before you dive in, right? KBO was founded in 1982 with five teams and has uh, expanded lately all the way up to the aforementioned 10 teams. The Kia Tigers are the Korean Yankees, if you will, um, having won a league best 11 of the 38 championships. The defending champs are the Doosan Bears, who took advantage of the number one overall seed going straight, uh, winning, not only winning the league, having the best record in the regular season, they also went straight to the Korean series and got the job done and uh, won the Korean series. They are defending Korean series, uh, defending Korean series champs, easy for me to say. Number four, the roster rules. These are important because it's different um, than major leagues, obviously. Every team is only allowed three foreign-born players. So everybody on your team is has to be Korean uh, minus three guys or born in Korea. It's kind of the same thing. But um, three players can be foreign. More than likely, it's um, maybe Japanese, but more than likely, it's uh, American, maybe Mexican, <clears throat> Latin American. Guys who went to the major leagues, played a couple years in the major leagues, never really found a home. They go to Korea to try to kind of revitalize their career. The way the roster rules work in the game is you can play multiple foreigners, but they cannot play the same position. So, for example, you can have a third baseman and a first baseman in the same game, in the same lineup, because they're not playing the same position. But you can't have your starting pitcher and then later on in the game, or you can't have your starting pitcher be foreign-born, and then later on in the game, in that same game, have another foreign-born pitcher pitch. That is not allowed. So more than likely, uh, most what most teams do is they have two starting pitchers and one position player as their um, foreign-born players. In recent years, Americans have been able to revitalize their careers in Korea. Korea, back in the day, kind of had a stigma of that's it. You know, when you end up in Korea, that's pretty much your last stand. But most notably, uh, Marcus Thames. He's been the one that's kind of broken through that. He has really been uh, one of the big success stories. He was hugely popular in Korea before he went to Milwaukee and took off and kind of became a, a phenom. I mean, he's if you ever get a chance to see him in person, his arms are about the size of Kansas. So he's a, he's a large human being. He was MVP for Doosan, I believe, in 2014. Parlayed that into a a uh, big league contract, and he's he's pretty much a uh, above average major leaguer now. So good for him. And also, last year's KBO MVP starting pitcher Josh Lind 
Josh Lindblom parlayed that MVP into a offseason deal with the Milwaukee Brewers. He signed a four-year deal. Um, he's going to be in that starting rotation. I remember doing the Brewers season preview and reading up on Josh Lindblom and thinking, wow, they have, they're relying on a, on a guy in Korea that, to come in and, and pitch in their rotation straight away. And I was wrong. I, I, I've really seen Korean baseball. Uh, the one big difference I would say is you don't see the 98, 99 mile an hour fastballs. I think the fastest I've seen is maybe 93, but it's, you really still will enjoy this game. Um, one other um, American notable is former Washington national and um, former all-star Matt Williams is the current manager of the Kia Tigers who are not off to a very good start, but he is the manager for the Kia Tigers. Remember, they are kind of the Yankees of the KBO, so he's got a lot of pressure on him out in Korea. So the fifth and final thing that you need to know about the KBO before you go and watch a game is the financial ramifications, folks. Currently, most sports leagues are hemorrhaging money. I mean, it's bad. There are sports leagues, not, not the big sports, but there are sports leagues that are going to probably go under, unfortunately, because of this pandemic. But that is not the KBO. They are in the middle of a windfall financially. Once ESPN picked up the uh, broadcast, the money began to flow. Dan Kurtz was pretty much no name. No one knew him. Um, he was a stay-at-home father and was born. I can't remember if he was born in Korea or had spent time in Korea, um, but he fell in love with Korean baseball and uh, came home in, I believe, uh, well, started his started a website called kboworld.net in 2014 when he became a stay-at-home dad kind of to just you know how it is just be able to talk to adults if you're talking to like kids you know just mainly as a hobby um and he's been uh, covering the kbo for that website for the last six years and pretty much overnight he his twitter crashed and his website crashed pretty much instantly because of the increase in volume Overnight, he became the, he's pretty much ESPN needs him on once a week because he is the only American um, that is well-versed in not just this year's KBO, but the history of the KBO. So that's a very interesting um, story that's kind of come out of this. Uh, KBO also has had to announce that they had to ramp up their shipping because uh, they have to fill demands for the U.S. market. Pretty much the money that's coming into Korea uh, the Korean Baseball League, this is game-changing for them. I would not be surprised if we see the butterfly effect and the ripple effect of this for 5 to 10 to maybe 15 years down the road to maybe the Korean Baseball, uh, the KBO actually taking over uh, Japan as the second-best league in the world. That would be absolutely incredible um, for them, and it's definitely a possibility right now. So for at least another month, the KBO will have the world uh, the baseball world's attention. And if you're a pessimist like myself, maybe longer because the labor negotiations do not seem to be going well right now, but I do think eventually they'll get something done. But at the very least, we got one more month um, of KBO only baseball. But I'll tell you this, if you are a baseball fan, check it out, record the game. Don't, you don't need to stay up till two 30 in the morning. You're not going to enjoy it at two 30 in the morning, tape the game, watch it later. Um, it's really fun. Sit down, enjoy it. It's baseball. What else can you ask for, all right? Folks, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. Um, head to ecosystemsbusinessconcierge.com to check out all of our educational content. We have so much stuff on there. It's crazy. Uh, if, you're on, if you need distraction or uh, you just need to 
just just think about sports or maybe get a head start on this gambling um, when we get ready to roll because we're going to hit the ground running. We have to hit the ground running. We're in the middle of recession now. We have to make money watching sports. That is what I am all about. And that is what the ESBC Gambling Podcast is all about. So once again, my name is Brandon First, aka First Report, representing the ESBC Gambling Podcast Network. I will talk with you again on Wednesday, me and Brandon Lupian going to be breaking down uh, the top five stories of the week and giving you the betting angles. That's going to be a new thing we got going on. So look forward to talking to you then. Hope you all have a great day. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Now go wash your hands and uh, I'll talk to you soon. You can bet on that.